Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. Hey everybody, this is Trista and you're listening to episode 21 of the Better Etc. podcast. Before I get into my story that I promised you all I would share last week and on my Instagram stories the week before, I want to tell you about what this episode is all about. It is with Kate Warman and she just wrote a book all about rejection and how to turn that pain into purpose. So we talk all about the different types of rejection, how it's not just heartbreak. I feel like most people, when they hear the word rejection, it's the rejection of other people. But how many times in a week, in a month, do we reject ourselves and hate ourselves and talk to ourselves negatively? Oh, gosh, I do it all the time. And so we have a great talk about her biggest rejection, how she transformed from it. She shares a really, really beautiful letter that she wrote to heartache. And, oh, I loved hearing her read it. It was one of my favorite parts of her book. She writes a letter in each chapter. And I thought this one was particularly poignant. So I have her read it. I I think that you guys will learn a lot from Kate and how we can turn our pain into purpose and happiness and move on from rejection. So I hope you'll, you'll tune in. But for now, I wanted to share that story that I promised last week. So on Instagram stories a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how I was having a really rough morning. So two nights before that, I hadn't gotten a lot of sleep because I chose to stay up late. The night before, I didn't get a lot of sleep because I was emotional from an argument I got into with Ryan. We are fine now, but we are just like every other couple out there who argues and we talked it through and we're good. But we had had an argument, so I was emotional. And then I had driven Max and a friend to hockey practice. It was my turn to carpool. So we got home at like 1030 at night. And then, of course, it's to let the dogs out and it's the get the kids to bed and it's get myself ready for bed. And I think I actually didn't even brush my teeth that night. Ryan wasn't here. He was at work. I was like, I am way too tired because I don't know about you, but when I cry, I get really tired. And so I had been crying earlier that day, was really tired and then tired from getting home late from hockey practice and... And then add on top of that, our dog is 16 years old and he has been having a really hard time with his bladder and bowels and he leaves us little gifts in the morning that sometimes we step in. It is not fun. Anyway, we talked to a dog trainer locally and he recommended that we contain him in a smaller space so that we could put puppy pads down and wouldn't have to deal with that. But (laughs) it's kind of like a newborn. I felt like I was, I had a newborn again because he was, not that a newborn does this, but he was barking all night long. Oh, it was awful. I could not sleep last night. So I could not sleep. And I felt like it was a cry it out moment. Like I needed to let him just bark, even though I was worried that he was going to wake up the neighborhood or the children, which he didn't wake up the kids, but he was barking a lot. And so I knew he was safe. He was fine. I had his cozy little bed. I actually had two beds in there and water. He was fine, but I just couldn't sleep. And so I wake up the next morning on two bad nights of sleep and stressed out because it had snowed. The roads were probably going to be icy. I hate being late. It really gets to me. And so I was frustrated because I knew we were going to get be late because my kids took a real, I usually wake them up around 720 to leave the house at like 8, 8.05. And they both got out about at 745. And Max still had to take a shower and take the garbage out. So I was stressed knowing that we were probably going to be late. And Blakesley was having a hard morning because she couldn't figure out what she wanted to wear. And we went back and forth into my closet, her her dad's closet, her closet, and couldn't find anything. So I was getting frustrated. 
Mind you, I'm also cleaning up puppy pads with pee and poop on them. So that was frustrating. And I just don't do well not having sleep. I hadn't eaten breakfast because I usually eat it when I get home. So I also don't do well with not having food. It was just, holy cow, a really rough morning. And I know that you all out there, well, I would assume that most people out there listening probably have their own rough mornings or rough days. And I think a big part of this rough morning is that is the argument that Ryan and I had. So my parents were divorced when I was in fifth grade. And every time I fight with Ryan, I think, oh, no, is this it? Is this the big fight that's going to cause us to break up? Just because that was kind of a trauma that was left on my heart. And so I worry. I worry a lot. Also, as you guys found out in the last episode, I am a type two Enneagram, which means I'm the helper. And so, and it's true. I mean, I do do some things for me, but most of my day revolves around doing things for other people. And so when the people in my life are hurt, that especially hurts because I'm a type two, because I blame myself for not helping them to be happier in a way. And so I just want everyone out there to know that I have my bad moments. And I think the biggest thing that I can tell you is to get a good night's sleep. I'm going to actually go take a nap right after I record this to remember that you're allowed your feelings. And so are the people in your life and just talking through those feelings and opening up those lines of communication is so important so that you don't hold it out all inside and explode. I tend to do that a lot and I need to remind myself of that. And to know that I need to tell myself this too, that even if you get into an argument with someone, even if you lose your cool with your kids, remember the power of an apology remember that you are human. I mean, after I got really frustrated during that rough morning, I apologized to Blakesley and said, I'm so sorry. I am so tired. I am really frustrated because I don't want to be late and it's not your fault. And so I said, I'm sorry. I think it's really important to show our kids that we are human and the power of an apology. So just remember all of those things. If you're having a bad morning or when you have another bad morning or a bad moment in a day, just give yourself the time to feel so you can heal, just like multiple guests of mine have said. So I hope that you all are having a great day and you are ready to learn all about the types of rejection and how to turn the pain from rejection into purpose right now. So I hope you'll continue to listen. I hope you'll go to wherever you listen to your podcasts, give us a subscribe and make sure you download the episode. You know, that little cloud icon, at least in Apple devices, make sure you click that to make it download. Even if you do subscribe, because that counts and, and then listen and and head to our Facebook group so we can all create a community. I'm going to go on there today and start some threads, start some connection and, and chatter. So I hope you guys will go check it out. I hope you're having a great day. And thank you to Kate Warman for all of her time. Here we go. Today, I have Kate Warman joining me. She is a relationship coach. She's an inspirational speaker. She's the host of the Heart of Dating podcast and... She's a new author, I know how that feeling is, of a newly released book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose, and Learn to Fight for Yourself. So welcome, Kate. Trista, thanks, girl. I'm so excited to be here. So I know in your book, you break down the chapters based on the types of rejection. Can you go through those types of rejection that you categorized every chapter yeah. So I, first of all, I start the book with uh, something a little bit counterintuitive maybe, but mm-hmm. I start the book with self-rejections. And the reason I do that is because 
in my dating coaching, when I coach people, I would have noticed is that so often the reason why they're not getting dates or having success in their dating lives is actually because they're rejecting themselves before others even have a chance, meaning they're already telling themselves significant number of lies. They're believing bad things about themselves. They're not confident. They have a, a plethora of insecurities. And now we all have insecurities, but they're crippling insecurities. And, and therefore it's leading them to either not ever step out, you know, yeah. because they've experienced rejection. And now they're like, oh, or it's leading them to step out. But then when the rejection hits, it destroys them completely because it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy confirming the things that they've already believed in their own mind. And so the first chapter starts with body shame and insecurity, which mm -hmm. I just think you know, for women, especially body shame is a number one trigger of shame in general. And that's the number one thing we feel shame for as women. And I mean, men as well. I mean, they totally experience body shame, but if we don't really love our bodies, it will impact so much of how we see ourselves, our level of confidence, just how we walk in life, whether it's in dating or in a relationship with a friend, or even in your work scenario, it transforms how you see yourself. Yeah. Chapter two is about self-hatred. And really that's about a lot of the ways in which we shame ourselves internally. You know, I could be talking to a friend and I just say something off and immediately my internal dialogue goes to, Oh my gosh, Kate, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, wow. You're too loud. Or you're too dramatic. Oh, I do that all the time. Oh, better. oh yes. my gosh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. And then mm -hmm. we're like, we're our own worst inner critic. We're our own worst bully. Like it, and I've heard people say this many times. I say this in the book as well. Like if we had a friend talking to us the way we talk to ourselves, we wouldn't be friends with that person. We'd be like, I'm sorry. I'm, if, if we had any sense of value, we'd be like, no, like yeah. I'm, you just called me fat. Like <laughs> I'm not friends with you anymore. <laughs> like, you know, like, You're an idiot. But, You're awful. Yeah. Like, yeah, completely. 100%. Yes. No, exactly. No. And so the, the second chapter of self-hatred is just all those shaming narratives, either what in the moment or how we look at past versions of ourselves. And that yeah. was a big issue for me is that I used to look at previous versions of myself and be like, oh gosh, like I hated that version of myself. Oh gosh. Like that time in my life, I was so terrible. I was so dramatic. I was so this, that, and the other. And just, again, that's shaming a previous version of me, which is still a part of me. Yeah. And instead of having compassion and love and empathy for why I showed up those ways in that time of my life, I instead was just shaming myself. Mm -hmm. And that creates a disconnect between in the, in the oneness of who you are. And so anyway, the book starts with self-rejections and then goes into other ways that people reject us externally. So we talk through not fitting in and feeling like an outcast. And what does belonging really mean? I, of course, touch on heartbreak, which is probably one of like the more obvious rejections, especially for me as a dating coach, I talk about heartbreak all the time. And but then we talk about abandonment, whether it is from some sort of heartbreak or a family member or a mm -hmm. friend if that happened early in your life. Could abandonment relate to death? Could absolutely feel that way. You know, it feels like some sort of sudden loss in our life. Mm -hmm. A, you know, somebody passing is definitely a grief that is very extreme and very tough. And then what I think is interesting is the abandonment where you know that person actually chose to leave you. Mm. There's something in that that's just not to compare it because they're different, but there is that extra level of like, wait, this person knew me and and chose to leave, like voluntarily yeah. left yeah. versus somebody dying that's not their choice. And so that extra level of like those lies coming in, is there something wrong with me? Why did they leave? Like yeah. what, what is about me? Will anybody choose me? Other kinds of rejection I touch on are work rejections or life rejections of do doors being closed in your face. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. And so I kind of had to, <laughs> I've had to like live through the process of closed doors and mm -hmm. failed opportunities because as an entrepreneur, you trial and error a ton of things and you learn that a lot of this is not working out as I thought it was. You know? yeah, so right. what does it look like to keep, to, to redefine success and what is failure? What, what is the beauty of actually experiencing failure? I also go into harder things such as sexual shame and sexual assault, and then also abuse, which is incredibly difficult and a huge part of my story and testimony. And, and then also talk about betrayal and how that can feel like a rejection of sorts. 
whether from a significant other or just somebody in your life, a friend, a family member, you know, whoever it is. So I break the book down into 11 different kinds of main rejections in life and really use my story to share about how these rejections have transformed the way that I see myself, have helped me to heal in so many ways and not to sugarcoat it to say any of those things are easy. I don't think they'll ever be easy, but I do think it becomes easier to heal through them once you can reconcile with the ones that you've dealt with or gone through in the past. Mm -hmm. And then you can find tools to be able to handle those kinds of rejections when they come in the future. So that's kind of the gist of it. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. From your personal experience, what was the biggest rejection for you? So for me, I think the biggest turning point in my life was when I went through an abusive relationship. Uh, And that was about uh, eight years ago now or eight and a half years ago. And I was in that relationship for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. People hear that and they're like, two and a half years. Why would you stay with someone for two and a half years? I was abusive. But the reality of the abuse cycle is that it really is being like on a merry-go-round and the person gets you hooked with you know, love and affirmation and love bombing. And then eventually it leads to things like gaslighting where you're, you feel totally discounted and you feel small and you feel judged and they deflect onto you. So you bring a need up and they just deflect it back to you. What, no, that's, or no, that's dramatic or what's wrong with you? I mean, you think I'm doing that. Look at what you're doing over here. And so you start, it it really knocks you up your feet and you're very confused, but an abuser knows these tactics very well. And the person I was dating was incredibly convincing to the outward eye. And a lot of my friends never thought that he could do something like this. You know, that he was just very likable, probably the classic kind of narcissist, you know, like somebody who you're like, really that person? Mm -hmm. No, can't be that that's being abusive. And, and so I was stuck. I felt stuck in that for two and a half years. But in that relationship, I also lost myself entirely. Mm. I put myself and put so much of my worth and value in how this man was treating me. And of course, I was never going to get from him what I was looking for, which was somebody who actually loved me and saw me and appreciated me and valued me. He just was never able to give that. And so I got into the cycle of codependency of trying to change him, but it never actually worked or he would never actually change. And so two and a half years into that relationship, um, eventually I did leave the relationship and I had to face a really hard reality that up until that point in my life, I had never been single. So uh, I looked at my history and for the last 10 years before I dated that guy and during the dating of that guy, I was dating for back to back to back to back for 10 years straight. Yeah. And I faced the reality that I had no idea who Kate was outside of dating. Mm -hmm. I had no idea who Kate was outside of needing validation, especially from men, but also from work. And so it was this very low moment in my life where all the self-hatred came to a pinnacle of like, I hated myself. I thought I was ugly. I thought I was disgusting. I was disappointed in myself. Because that's what he had been telling you? Yeah. Yeah. And because I, I just, you know, logically, you know, this is not something I should be in, but you're stuck in it. And so it's like this jarring thing in your mind where you're like, I shouldn't be in this, but I keep staying in it, right. you know? And so right. your mind is like, and then once you see that later, you're like, oh my gosh, why did I stay so long? You Again, the shaming narratives. So that was probably the biggest turning point in my life where I realized something has to change here. I have to take ownership for why I continue to date and date and date and look for my identity and people and acceptance and love from men. But at the end of the day, realizing that I actually didn't love myself at all. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole part in the book where I talk about what it looks like to love yourself so that you don't lose yourself. And um, that basically was a journey for me of three years taking, you know, complete time off of dating and seeking a lot of healing and therapy and actually eliminating male friendships entirely, but mm. really trying to relearn like what makes Kate, Kate, yeah. what makes me without men and, and without work and performing just 
what is my unique DNA? What am I passionate about when I'm not trying to be all these things for everybody else? And um, it was a really hard journey, but I would say that was probably the most pivotal moment, hardest, hardest thing in my life and most pivotal moment in my life. Yeah. So drawing from your title, I know this is a really complex question, but how did you transform that pain into purpose? Well, taking those three years off of dating was really, really helpful. And then when I came back onto the dating scene, I decided like, I'm going to read books and try to, you know, do dating the right way, girl. But <laughs> Is there a right way? <laughs> no, I, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But no, I mean, but seriously, there's so many ways that people date, you know, like there isn't actually one way. And that's what I realized. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do we do this in a healthy, holistic, kind way that's not just selfish, you know, but where I'm actually wanting to serve somebody else and where I actually know who I am and I'm not sacrificing the things about myself that make me beautifully and uniquely me. And so I started reading all these books and realizing like, there's not a lot of great dating advice out there. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to write one, you know, fast forward. I was in more really, I started dating again and dating in new ways. And eventually I went through a heartbreak, which is another chapter in the book. And I've been through countless heartbreaks. I've dated a lot, but this one was like another pivotal turning moment where that heartbreak was with a man who was healthy. It was a great relationship, Mm -hmm. a healthy relationship. My friends loved him. My mentor loved him. Like everybody is like, you guys are going to be together. And suddenly it ended. And then you're like, wait, what? You know? Yeah. And it was in that moment of healing and processing through that heartbreak on top of processing through everything I had learned through that previous abusive relationship that I started feeling in my heart called to start a podcast and start talking about dating, which was honestly, this is so wild because (laughs) I was, I, I, if you had asked me years ago, if I would, you know, be publicly talking about my history and my journey of abuse and heartbreak and dating, I literally could not have paid you money back in the day to have talk about that publicly. And here I am talking about it every day. Um, <laughs> like the irony is really hilarious, but I, I stepped out. I, I did the, I started this podcast. I really surrendered what it would look like. I was like, I'm just going to do this. I feel it in my heart. It feels so clear that I'm supposed to do this. So I'm going to try it and see what happens. And honestly, it was just so beautifully unexpected to mm. see people listen and connect with it. And, and actually like connect with me as a person who was single talking about this subject versus just like, you know, we get a lot of marriage or dating advice from a lot of married people, which I don't, it isn't bad, but I think also at the same time, you want to hear from somebody who actually gets what it's like to date in 2021 in a pandemic and online dating in the culture of ghosting and social media and all the things, you know? And so today I, I really feel that through processing through the pain of all of those rejections um, and healing from some of my story. It's a given me the confidence to step out in boldness and courage to share my story. And so that is, I think, the biggest testament to the whole process of transforming the pain into purpose. And maybe, you know, for the person listening, maybe you're not going to start a whole business or yeah. a podcast on your story. But at the same time, For me, what's also beautiful is being able to see and more easily spot when somebody else is in a situation that is toxic for them. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, thinking back to my abuse, I, I mean, gosh, Trista, if just one person had been like, I see you. And you're not crazy. And this is happening. If just one person had done that, like, it probably would have transformed my life at that time. You know, oh man, that makes me feel emotional. But but I, and I don't fault the people in my life. They just didn't have the eyes to see it. But yeah. my, my gosh, for me today, like I, I'm so grateful that, that I get to be that person for other people that right. I have now the eyes to see if somebody messages me or if, if somebody I know, like I have the eyes to be able to spot that, to make them feel seen and loved. And that sense of compassion and empathy can transform your life, especially from somebody um, that you know. And so even if you're not starting a whole podcast, maybe it's right. your pain is what is used to come alongside somebody in their darkest moment. That's so great. I mean, I'm so glad that you found your purpose. And I, I wish that for everybody, you know, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And yeah. I feel like we all go through, you know, certain instances in our life that lead us to our 
or fate or destiny or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, if we don't have those rejections, then we don't end up where we're supposed to be kind of, you know? So with your book, you know, I think when people think of the word rejection, immediately Mm -hmm. you jump to, oh, it's related to breakups. You know, it's related to relationships with your significant other. There is one quote. Well, I, I want to, I do want to get into something in a second, but I do love this quote. I wanted to share that I found in the book quote. I, I rejected myself before anyone else. And you kind of said this earlier. I rejected myself before anyone else even had the chance to reject me. And time and time again, I was left feeling empty, ashamed, and ugly. And that I feel like is so me, you know, even when it comes to social media, I, yeah. because, you know, I am in the public eye as you know, as the first bachelorette and one of the most successful couples and now having the Mm. podcast and having written the book, I feel like there are often times where I'll post something and I'll call Mm. myself old or I'll, I'll bring up my, my crow's feet or, you know, I'll, I'll cut myself down before someone else who I don't even know cuts me down because that is the place that we live right now is, Someone can come and just knock you off your high horse. Not that I, I was on a high horse, but they can off you, knock you off your horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah totally. Even if it's not high. And so I do that all the time is uh, immediately reject myself before. And, and people have called me out on it. They're like, why do you say that? You know, why do you say that about yourself? And I, it is my mechanism of protection, you know, protecting myself from that rejection that I and being told by my, by my inner demons that I'm going to get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so hard. It, it's a real thing that every day we're battling, you know? It's like, oh, my gosh. I think that and it, it's, it requires a really high level of mental awareness, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I say this later in the book that if you really want to tra- start transforming some of those thoughts that you have about yourself, like, you literally have to be like a referee of your own mental ping pong game like you're like watching this game back and forth and back and forth and then you know you have to be the one to referee to say like oh my gosh wait that that broke the rules like that isn't what I want to define who I am anymore Mm -hmm. and so I'm gonna stop myself and it's like I'm gonna stop myself right here so even like if you're not saying it out loud but you're thinking it you literally do this process of like I'm blowing the whistle on myself like no we're gonna stop and redirect over here because the reality of what you're talking about Trista is actually science like we have built these neural pathways in our brains and the neural pathways can be there from like, you know, years and years and years. It could be even be there from childhood, like a messaging Mm. of I'm ugly or I'm not beautiful could have started as early as preteen or, you know, however early, whoever said that message. I remember the story of your, was it your aunt that? Yeah. My aunt Deb. Exactly. And nothing (laughs) against your aunt Deb, but you know, that she said something about why don't you ever, why don't you ever smile? Can you smile? Normal. Can you just smile yes. normal? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and you know what? She probably thought nothing of it because to her, it was just her saying, I want to see your beautiful smile, but she didn't say it in that way, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and because of that, I just didn't remember. And it's, it's nuts to me that like, you know, when I did this exercise in a therapy session, I was like, wow, that, that, that memory is coming up so profoundly in my brain, you know? And, mm. and for her, like, I guarantee to your point, like she did probably doesn't even remember that that happened. Yeah. Um, and I don't fault her for that per se. I don't necessarily think that she had like malicious intent to say that to me, but totally. it, it hit me in such a way that stuck because at the same time I had just been going through puberty and I already felt awkward about myself and I had braces and I started growing really fast and I had leg hair and you know yeah, like right? boobs and and I'm like 10 years old and just feeling awkward everyone else yeah I, I felt terribly awkward and uncomfortable in my skin and so it created this insecurity that just perpetuated um mm-hmm. I remember the next year I didn't uh maybe I did write this in the book but I remember that year in school, I decided I was going to do my hair different every single day because I just wanted to stand out and be different Amazing. because I felt so uncomfortable with the rest of me that I was like, okay, maybe I can distract everyone with my cool hairstyle. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, How did that work out? 
I mean, girl, I still have friends that comment. They're like, remember in fifth and sixth grade when you um, did your hair different every single day? I was like, oh, yeah, girl. Yes. Yes. My mom, I would literally, Trista, wake up early to play the flute. Yes, I played the flute in the basement. I did, too. You did? I played the flute. Oh my gosh. My parents were in, on, in one end very impressed because I would wake up at 5 a.m. Oh, I didn't do that. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Not everyone does as a fifth grader. Okay. This is a weird, this is weird, but uh, I just, I would put my alarm on, go play, practice the flu. And cause I wanted to be first chair and then I would do my hair and every day it had to be different. And my mom kept being like, honey, don't you want to just wear your hair down? I was like, no, I want to do it different every single day, mom. And it's hysterical thinking back. Like there's photos and girl, I loved it. All the butterfly clips, all the everything. Like I think butterflies are actually coming back. I I, think they are. I mean, I welcome it because anything to help me with my hair, I just hate doing my hair. right well you're you're great at it your hair looks amazing and if you were doing a hairstyle every day then I have a feeling that you probably got really really good at doing your own hair (laughs) oh my gosh we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back and now back to the conversation okay so going back into that the heartbreak so in every chapter you give everyone calls to action. Uh, You say, remember these things, ask these things, do these things, as well Mm -hmm. as writing a letter. And is the letter in every chapter? Yes, there's a letter at at the end of every chapter, yeah. So I'd love for you to write the letter that you wrote to Heartbreak. And that is on page 115, if if they're the same pages. I have it. Because I think what you said was really poignant in terms of of heartbreak and how you can put it in perspective and how you can move forward from it. So, Okay. Dear Heartbreak, it's strange to admit that I'm sad but grateful for you at the same time. I really am. You always seem to come along suddenly, like an unwelcome acquaintance reappearing on the scene without an invitation. Here's what I've learned about you. You're here to teach me, to protect me from the unseen, and to direct me to something I never thought possible. Every time you come back into the picture, I realize that by feeling your pain, I'm tapping into deeper buckets of loving myself, understanding my heart, and growing stronger than I ever was before. It's never easy, but it gets easier. You've inexplicably taught me that fighting for healing will always be worth it. While you've hurt me, I can proudly step back and now thank you. Thank you for making me face my biggest heartbreak lies, pluck them with vengeance, and finally settle into my true identity and design. Thank you for the painful tears and sorrow that now help me experience radiant, soul-quenching joy, even in the simplest moments. Thank you that I can wear these past scars as badges of victory. Thank you for helping me grow better, love better, be better. I love who I am because in so many ways, I found my strength through you. Yours truly, Kate. Yay, I love it. <laughs> oh, so girl. beautiful. I'm like rereading it, speaking it to myself as well. I'm like, yeah. oh, yes. <laughs> you know, there's times you just got to take a chapter or a page out of your own book. I say that all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and... What's so beautiful, just a full circle moment here. I talked about that heartbreak a few years ago that led me into starting Heart of Dating, my now podcast, which has turned into my full-time thing. And uh, right before the book launched, I was really thinking and processing about like, you know, if I wanted to reach out to that ex who I actually have mm. a good with and he is a dear person. I love him as a man. Like he's a very, very kind soul. And we have a good acquaintance relationship now years later. Um, but girl, what I ended up doing was I ended up writing him a thank you letter and sending him my book with the thank you letter um, with her in this chapter. And man, like I, I really felt the peace in my heart to do this. It was just a, it was a truly like, thank you for rejecting me. It, this heartbreak literally led me to have the space in my life to 
uh, have this burning passion actually be cultivated so that I could start serving people and walk into my calling, which I probably, if I stayed with him, I, I probably would have never done this if I'm yeah, being honest. Right. I just, I wouldn't have had that space and I wouldn't have been that pain deeply connected me to the pain that other people were feeling and made me want to start Heart of Dating. And so I wrote him this letter, I sent it to him and, you know, without any just expectation of how he would respond. And he ended up getting it the day after my book came out and sent me the sweetest voice memo I've ever gotten. I just so sweet, just affirming and loving and just proud of me. And just, you know, this, this redemption moment where it's like, a, yes, like I can honestly say, thank you for rejecting me with zero animosity in my heart and anger towards him. But like, and honest to goodness now, four years later, wow, I needed that break. I needed that breakup. I needed that rejection to happen. Mm-hmm. And because if it hadn't, I wouldn't have walked into this calling of my life. And so, yeah, I've, I don't think I've ever shared that before, but there we are. <laughs> That's great. I mean, talk about closure and, and giving yourself what you needed, you know, that, I, I mean, at first I was like, I mean, he wasn't the abusive relationship, right? No, no, no. And okay. he, he won't be getting a letter. Let's be very clear. Right. <laughs> Cause I was thinking to myself, oh my God, that's a great dig. Like you should send it to the guy who was not quite that nice. Um, and just be like, thank you because I am in a great place and you know what? (laughs) You suck, but I am moving on and I love my life right now. So, um, thank you, but you're right. Right. You need to be the bigger person and just be like, you know what? He'll probably hear about it. And, and that's kind of how I feel. Like I have an ex-boyfriend um, obviously not a current boyfriend because I'm married, but, um, I have an ex-boyfriend who, clarifying. We were all wondering, okay? <laughs> who cheated on me Yeah, and yeah. it was awful. It was awful. I but hate betrayal. Oh, I am so thankful that he showed me that that was not something I wanted in my life. Yes, I needed to be very clear moving forward that I did not want to be treated like that and I wouldn't stand for it. And so, you know, it came up in conversation during The Bachelorette. And, you know, after that, I I just learned what I needed out of relationship. That was one little piece of the puzzle of what I needed in a forever. And so I think there is some power in that it is not fun to go through to experience. And I, you know, looking at my daughter and thinking about what, especially I say my daughter, but of course my son too, you know, I want them both to have, you know, beautiful, fulfilling relationships that they feel supported and loved and, and happy and, um, being, and being betrayed is not part of that. So I hope that they never have to go through that, but, um, you know, one day I'll share that with them that, it's not something you should ever accept, you know? Well, and I bet too, for you, Trista, I'm, I mean, I don't want to assume, but I, I mean, I wrote a chapter on betrayal from being betrayed over and over by many people, but especially somebody I was dating. And the gift of betrayal is really like learning what it is that makes us trust someone. Mm. That, that's one part of the gift of betrayal. And also learning, do we actually trust ourselves? Because I think that in betrayal, we're like, wait a second, I, how did I miss all these signs? You know, so do we really trust ourselves? And also, what is it that we're really give? Why are we trusting people mm-hmm. individually? Yeah. Um, Brandy Brown is one of my favorite people. Oh, and she has, yes, <laughs> I'm like, whenever the question comes up where it's like, if you could have dinner with somebody in the world, who would you choose? I'm like, Brene Brown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's amazing. I, I just want to like, Um, but she has this great talk called the anatomy of trust Uh and I've watched it or listened probably like 10 times no joke because it's only 25 minutes I think um she did on Oprah and it's just such a good talk (laughs) the anatomy of trust you're gonna watch it right after it's so good girl and and I think that's the unfortunate part we can start doing this work before you know ever getting betrayed hopefully not everyone is going to get betrayed in life but Mm -hmm. the beauty of betrayal is it makes us go through okay what is what are the things that I why do I trust somebody 
what does somebody do that leads me to trusting them? You know, mm-hmm. um, sometimes we don't, we don't ask ourselves those questions, whether it's a significant other, or honestly, a friend too. Mm-hmm. Like how many times girls connect with other girls pretty easily sometimes, you know? And so, but sometimes we can just jump right in to like, you're my new bestie or I love you girl. And I'm like, wait a second, but I don't even know this person, you know? Yeah. Or I mean, recently, not recently, like the, within the past year or two, I've been friends with someone for a long time. They will remain nameless. And I felt really betrayed by them because they hosted a party and I wasn't invited. And Mm -hmm. this is after she told me that I was one of her favorite people. And I was like, wait, how does that work? (laughs) I'm one of your favorite people. And then soon after that, I'm, I'm not good enough to be invited to your house when I've been inviting, invited to parties at their home a lot in the past. So it's really, it hurts a lot. And actually my daughter is going through, you know, she's 11. And so there's a lot of excluding Mm -hmm. other people and isolation and it's just how girls are. It's what she'll have to deal with for, from now through when she's 48, like me, you know, And so I want her to learn it. I know she needs to learn it on her own. Unfortunately, it breaks my heart to have to see her go through anything like that. I'm trying to keep myself out of it um, because I know how on fire I get when I am betrayed. Um, So Uh, how, yeah, how can we turn that, that betrayal? Cause I still have feelings of animosity towards this person and I don't show them, you know, I, I try to be civil, but it still hurts to this day. And it was, it was at least a year ago. How can I, how can I transform that? How do I use that? When those things happen, it's like the red flag markers where it's something to pay attention to Mm -hmm. where, you know, there's this phrase, I don't remember who I heard say this, but you know, it's say you go to a zoo and you, there's a lion cage and you're like, Ooh, the lion. Oh my gosh. It's so pretty. And you put your hand in the cage and the lion bites your hand. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, to not put your hand back in the cage. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you go back again and you're enamored by the lion and you put your hand back in the cage and it bites it again, it's like, well, that's on you, you know? Um, so it's, it's now that it's not that you just didn't necessarily cut off the friendship per se. There's a lot of elements involved there, but I would say it's definitely a cautionary thing where it's Mm -hmm. like, this is a, something I'm aware of. And because of that, now I develop my own boundaries with this person. And I'm also going to challenge myself to be honest with them when I am hurt by them. And when I do feel betrayed, you know, and I would also venture to say, if there's any lingering resentment first, see if that for anybody, for you, Trista, for anybody listening, I'm speaking this to myself too. Like, what is it? And is it, are those resentments things I can deal with on my own and heal from on my own? Yeah. Like, what is it that I could maybe just release? Um, because forgiveness is so often less about the other person and just about us kind of releasing, (laughs) releasing our own resentment. Um, there's a book called the body keeps the score. And when we're not, when we are keeping in anger and resentment, it actually, impacts our body. Like Mm. physiologically, it actually can cause ailments in our body and forgiveness can actually just be more for ourselves. So what is it that we can do to release and release the resentment, release the anger, start forgiving them. And forgiveness is a process. It could be today saying, okay, I choose to forgive this person, but it's not a one-time thing. It's often a process of Mm. like, Mm -hmm. I'm again, choosing to forgive this person. I'm choosing the forgiveness and it's just an internal thing. But if it keeps coming up over and over again, you know, sometimes that means that maybe just being honest with them. And as Brene Brown would say, you know, going into the ring of vulnerability and saying, hey, I just want to be honest with you on this. When you didn't invite me to that party, I know we've talked about it, but it's still hard for me to like, there's something in me that just feels weary of our friendship. And Mm -hmm. I want to be Mm -hmm. honest with you about that because I feel like it's unfair to you to have these inner dialogues and thoughts and feelings without at least talking it out with you. True. You know, so it, it depends. Sometimes we can release it on our own and sometimes it actually requires a conversation with that person. If it's really hindering our ability to be friends with them. I mean, it hinders my ability. Like whenever I see them, I get this like negative emotion inside. It really like, it, it still hurts. It, it like triggers me again, just seeing her or seeing yeah. her children or seeing 
her name, you know, like it just, it still triggers me. And you're right. I need to do that for myself. I mean, I have, I, I think as a protective mechanism, just thought that this has taught me who I need to focus my attentions on because Mm -hmm. I want to share my life with people who enjoy sharing their life with me, right? you know? And so do I want to waste that time by sharing my, my life? And because, you know, we're not given a certain amount of time, we're all going to die. So that, that precious time that I'm given, should I be sharing it with someone that gives me these negative feelings? No, but you're right. I, because I have those negative feelings, whenever I see her name or her face or, or something that reminds me of her, I need to, for myself, probably I should have a conversation with her and just, cause I haven't told her about it. Yeah. I have told yeah. friends of our mutual friends of ours, or at least one in particular that it hurt, but I haven't shared it with her. And who knows if she knows about it from, you know, other friends, but I, that I'm sure that would be very powerful, you know? Yeah. Thank you. And I think, oh yeah, I think, and that it's, and it's hard to do, right. It's hard to be oh like, Oh my gosh, hey, the second gonna... that you said that, I was like picturing it. I'm like, it stresses me out just thinking about it. Yeah. But I think what will make it easier, I had to have a friend, a conversation with a friend about this recently. And I personally have to preach this to myself all the time is just, okay, A, I'm doing this for me. This is, this is really for me. And for the sake of, if there's ever going to be a friendship here, this needs to be said because otherwise it's just going to be this lingering weed that grows and it becomes something bigger than it needs to be. And so if there's any chance for me to really have a a healthy, beautiful view and, and friendship, connected friendship with this person, I have to say this, but then in saying it, what I always aim to do is I just make it about myself and, Mm -hmm. and assume positive intent of the other person, like give them a generous assumption to say like, Hey, I, there's something that happened, you know, whenever it was. And I wanted to bring it up because it, for me, I've been trying to deal with, you know, process it on my own, but I realized just, it, it, it just really hurt me. And I want to share with you what that was. And I know it was probably not your intention to do this. Right, However, this is what happened, you know? And so, because otherwise if we're like, Hey, you didn't invite me. Totally. And <laughs> luck, they're, then they're, then they're like defensive and it's not yeah. a good conversation and you leave worse than you did when you entered. Yes, of, <laughs> you course, of course it has to come from kindness and you have to use the I words yes. and not the you words. And I mean, I need, I need to take that advice. I just, it would be advice that I would tell my daughter or a friend or my husband or my mom or whoever, if they were going through something. So I need to walk the walk. That's for sure. Or walk mm-hmm. the talk, or talk the walk or what does it say? <laughs> walk the walk, walk and talk. Walk. To, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, whatever it is, I need to do it. (laughs) Hey, and I just need to say this as well. Like I date coach people and yet I am always preaching the same things to myself. I'm like, oh, I can say this all day long. And it's hard to practice. Like when somebody, when a guy does something even where I'm like, oh, that hurt. I'm like, I'd rather just keep it to myself sometimes than saying it to them. But then I'm like, Kate, no, because otherwise you're going to totally write this person off when there could be an opportunity for healing that you may never know about. I'm like, so oh, right. Fine. <laughs> so right. I think that's a perfect note to end on. But I do ask everyone who comes on the podcast, the same type of questions I've changed. I've changed it a little bit recently, but what is your biggest piece of advice on how people who are listening today can be better tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. I would say the biggest thing for me that I have just been breathing in and breathing out every single day is first of all, two-parter, first of all, take each day as it is, just mm-hmm. asking for the grace just for today. Um, I think, especially within this last year of the global pandemic and so much being chaotic and unknown, like there, we don't know tomorrow or next week or next six months. And it, it really, this last year has shaken up so many of our worlds. And mm-hmm. so, and on top of all the chaotic things we can't control, then there's things in our lives that have happened, people losing jobs, people losing loved ones. So just like waking up and say, can like, I'm asking for the grace just for today, just focusing on today. 
to have the, the ability to just face today with strength, but then simultaneously to just, I've been breathing this in and out and saying this to myself. And I, I take a deep breath in and then on my exhale, I say nothing more, nothing less, just as you are. Mm. I say that to myself as a reminder, just that I don't have to be more to try to be what everyone else wants me to be. I don't have to lessen myself to try to fit in and be quieter, but that I can be just as I am and just as I am is beautiful and loved and accepted and unique and created with purpose. And so I think no matter who you are, we kind of need those reminders every day. And so, and that's honestly probably the one of the biggest things I meditate on that helped me every day as I face, as you face rejections of every kind, no matter mm. if it's big, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you. That's beautiful. Um, okay, Kate, where, where can people find you? Oh, girl, on the gram. We talked about the gram, but I love <laughs> connecting with people. I'm Kateness, which is K-A-I-T-N-E-S-S or Heart of Dating on Instagram. We have the podcast, Heart of Dating. I'm very active. I love meeting people over there. So if you listen to this podcast and you liked it, DM me. I'd love to chat with you. And if you want to get my book, you can get it. I guess any is really the thing. So yeah, this is so fun, Trista. I love this. Oh, thank you. Thank you so, so much. I'm I'm so proud of you. I know I, we just met, but I'm proud of you for writing because I know that it can be very daunting as, as an author myself. And Thank you for spreading all this positivity and helping people see that they really truly can find purpose out of everything. Yeah. yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, girl. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter or Facebook at Trista Sutter fan page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.